Hey everyone! Today's episode is a high-level discussion on what software engineering is at Jelly Vision. We're going into the infrastructure, general team setup, and product problems we try to solve here. Let's dive into how the jelly is made. We're happy to have you both here. Let's start with introductions. Maybe Dibs, you want to go first? Sure, yeah. Hey, William Dibburn. Most folks call me Dibs. I'm an engineering manager at Jellyvision. I manage our Alex Core engineering team that works on our benefits counselor experience. Prior to Jellyvision, I was in the Microsoft consulting space for just shy of 10 years or so, developing and architecting front ends and integrations and things in the uh, customer relationship management space. Awesome. How about you, Sunil? Uh, my name is Sunil Chopra. I'm a principal engineer at Jellyvision. I've been at Jellyvision for about four and a half years. I uh, was a manager for a few years. Historically, I've experienced as a developer as well as a systems engineer. Before Jellyvision, I was working for a company called the MIS department, which was uh, a consulting organization. And um, from MIS, I was uh, I had a full-time position with the DNC for for about uh, two years, which is sort of which was sort of a, a fun experience. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I didn't have an end to that sentence. I apologize. That's, that's me. <laughs> I would love to hear more about that sometime. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Could you use three words to describe Jellyvision's engineering department? And it could be fun. It could be serious. What do you think? I would go with appropriately paced. I'm not a huge fan of fast paced environments. When they say that, it's usually a sign of something else. Um, so appropriately paced is good. Entertaining for sure, from the standpoint of the, the people uh, get to work with on a daily basis are fun-loving as well. Third word, let's go with hardworking. Even though we very much restrict ourselves to the nine to five, I feel like we get a lot done inside of that time. Nice. What about you, Sunil? Um, I'll say tenacious. There's, you know, there are challenges and we, and we get through them. Um, flexible. As things shift, you know, it's 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 a matter of perseverance um, and probably intrepid in that I feel like a lot of some of the projects that, that we take on, they seem quite large. And I don't, I don't think I don't see people stress too much about that. Nice. Could you tell us a little bit about Jellyvision's history with respect to the engineering department? How has Jellyvision's engineering department changed over the years? I feel like I can comment on that pretty well. Um, so I, there's, there's history that I've heard and there's like a story, there are stories that like, I, pro I guess I've probably heard third hand or whatever. Um, one of the things that's probably, uh, impossible to ignore with when we're talking about Jellyvision history is the games well before my time, you know, Jellyvision me, you don't know Jack and that game division split off to be Jackbox. Um, but there's still a little bit of that in the, you know, in the DNA again, before my time, I want to say five to six years before my time. Um, although I guess a little bit closer, there was uh, Alex Evolved, which is like our you know a core product right now. When that happened, as I understand it, that definitely changed the engineering landscape at Jellyvision. Simply because before that, Jellyvision was sort of a services company, like uh, more like an advertising firm. And uh, with Alex, it became sort of a product focused, you know, platform company, um, and that you know definitely changed the style of things. But there's, again, still a little bit of that in the DNA. Like, we still have, like, some services work that we do. But, yeah, I feel like in the time since then, there, like, understanding that context helps understand how things are, you know, work at Jellyvision today. 
but you know evolution continues the way that we're there we're going right now i think is uh really exciting and we're doing more i i know div said that he's not excited about like a frantic pace but i think we're we're generally like moving a little bit more quickly with new products and i think that's really healthy and yeah i'm engineering sort of evolving to sort of meet that product uh or the new product focus dibs do you have any observations about how engineering has changed during your time at jellyvision i i would say uh in a addition to what Sunil's noting, like on, based on our history, like you can kind of tell where we're going and why we have that sort of vector in play. You can you can certainly see that even from the uh, smaller view of my year and a half at Jellyvision, where you can see how the, the engineering org is really continuously evolving and really trying to stick to those those agile principles of like making change where change makes sense and constantly adjusting and making sure that all folks are involved in that process. And I and we've made a bunch of iterations, um, some of our processes and team structures trying to align to the best uh, working format for, for getting things done, which has been nice. So, This question is open to both of you. What engineering problems are we solving here? Uh, I see, like, I'd say that a little bit like uh, of the stuff that I, I touched on earlier, you know, building new products fast, um, but with long-term sustainability in mind. Security and compliance industry-wide has become a lot more important for everyone. And what we're doing in engineering is not possible to, you know, what we're trying to do is not, is not possible without, you know, considering these things. And I think, um, as, as Dip sort of touched on, like the increasing product-focused uh, agile, uh, agileness of the organization, I think that, you know, sort of ev- evolution means that there is, you know, inherent challenge because things are changing. But yeah, it's, it's to me, it, from my perspective, it's about like engineering enablement and compliance and making, you know, making better work faster. From my side, I would add like from the perspective of like a manager, there's a bunch of change in process and quality practices that I think we're trying to uh, solve, which, which are certainly related to the subject area of engineering as a whole. So this can mean things from like making sure the product and engineering departments are aligned better on on what is truly a priority, including both product priorities and, and tech priorities. So tackling the right tech debt at the right time and what can wait. But yeah, there's also no shortage of like actual like meaty good features to work on. And I feel like one of our more current upcoming challenges is setting up that common identity platform that helps us kind of create that unified experience across all of our products for all of our users. There's a lot of history there in terms of trying to shy away from storing any more user data than than we need to make the product that we had at the time, just Alex Benefits Counselor, a good experience to expanding into multiple products. And now in order to make a good experience, trying to trying to piecemeal, what are the the right and still least amount of data points that we can store to make that a good experience across uh, multiple products. And I think that's a very exciting and unique challenge. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how I, I missed this part, but from the infrastructure perspective, of course, containerization, it's like, <laughs> yeah, wh- what's new at, at engineering? Of course, you know, we've got a lot of workloads that are still on like virtual machines, EC2 and, and you know, moving towards uh, more agile processes is faster in, uh, deployments and, and continuous deployment, continuous integration with uh, containers. That's that's you know an excitement and a challenge all at once. It's really lovely. Given our ecosystem as a whole, do you feel like uh, as far as changing business needs, do you feel like it adapts well to it, or there are challenges that we face 
when dealing with interconnected systems. So looking at our ecosystem sort of broadly, are there any points that make it difficult to adapt to changing business needs or updating our technology? Or do you find that everything works together fairly decently? I think um, from my perspective, the longer a product exists, the longer it's around, the more likelihood that it's harder to make some fundamental changes to the nature of that. So there's always, in in the general realm of the word maintenance, it depends on what your definition of that is, but sometimes that's that's shifting front ends from like jQuery UI over to Backbone, Backbone to React, React into whatever comes next after that with version 452 of Node.js. Um, that's always interesting and, and comes with its own challenges of like, when when do you balance making that that choice to switch over so that fresh talent um, is able to come in and, and start up on those kind of build on top of those frameworks uh, fast while balancing, you know, making too many changes too fast that aren't really uh, benefiting users. So uh, I think there's a lot of challenges in, in balancing those cha- types of changes for sure. And to the earlier point, I guess, the longer something's around, the more you've probably built on it, the more features it has, the harder it gets to to make an individual change. So um, I think we do a pretty good job and are certainly getting better at improving our processes around quality, especially uh, making sure that we have a lot of guardrails in place for making large scale changes so that we, we know when we pull a pin out from, from the bottom of something, uh, that we're able to make maybe make this more of a Django reference. If you pull the bottom piece out, you you can see that the rest of the stack is stable and know that it's not going to fall over. So I think that's something we're getting better at, but uh, still do a pretty good job of. So yeah, and I'll I'll add to the uh, as as far as like a sort of um, inherent challenge with the work, the periodic nature of um, our busy season. You know, being benefits counselor uh, focused on open enrollment, which is, you know, Q4, does sort of lend itself to uh, a little bit of a slower release process. And I think historically that's been something that has been a struggle. It's gotten a lot better of late with with our core products. And uh, another thing that sometimes slows us down is Dips touched on like sort of the, the growth growth of technical debt from a long-lived platform. But there's also uh, infrastructure to the same, uh, some extent kind of it's got the same story, you know. As I said, we're moving things to containers, but we've got a lot of stuff on EC2, and um, we're, it's there because it's it's been there, you know, and that's sort of like a legacy infrastructure choice that certainly made sense years ago, and we're trying to, you know, lighten things up, we'll, you know, save money, move a little faster if we can get into, uh, you know, containerized workloads uh, for everything, and that's an ongoing challenge. Do you think that this is unique to just Jellyvision or is this something that other companies also kind of experience? I guess, like, what do we do uniquely? I'd say uh, the, the OE thing might be kind of a unique challenge, but I would guess that uh, more abstractly, the technical debt for software as well as infrastructure is probably a very common thing um, for, for a lot of other companies. It's hard to say that, in fact, an old system like a core product that's been around for a while needs to change when in fact it's continuing to function and we're still selling it. But, you know, technical debt does uh, means lost hours, which of course means lost money. And, you know, if you're not addressing uh, certain pains as they arise, you, you miss out on unrealized gains and you also might leave yourselves open to security or whatever other kind of vulnerabilities uh, may arise. I guess to expand on it a little bit, 
like one could say that there's there's multiple facets of, of tech debt that gets accumulated along the way. Um, some tech debt to the point is like a choice you make to make sure that folks um, who are actually building and maintaining the product are able to um, grow in their careers and work on new and modern things and um, make things stable and make changes faster. And those are certainly softer considerations. And there's the harder considerations that like Sunil was just talking about where you have to make a change at certain times just to be secure and it's respond to new and interesting uh, methods of attack on on software. So yeah, I think there's two facets there that are worth thinking about more in general. Beyond that, like just going back to the original ask of like, do other companies deal with this? Like in my experience being in consulting for 10 years, watching folks come to us like uh, with software that's 10 plus years old and then asking us to build something new that looks exactly like that old thing, you can certainly see uh, how it gets it's just pervasive across software in general as Sunil was noting like it's just a thing that happens at some point you have to weigh the the costs versus the benefits of the change and sometimes orgs trigger that change for the right reasons sometimes they trigger it for the wrong but you just hope you're making the right decision at the right time based on what you know so yeah certainly not a unique challenge to jellyvision but i think i I really like uh, Sunil's point about jellyvision's unique challenge is certainly that open enrollment time frame in, in Q4 where uh, we can kind of make whatever changes we want to benefits counselor throughout the year because the, the traffic is so low. But then once we get to open enrollment, we kind of need things to be stable, super stable to make sure that the, when we're at peak traffic, uh, folks are having the best experience they can. So, How has engineering kind of adapted to the seasonal nature of our work? Like, are there pros and cons to it? Or are there things that we've learned along the way because of the seasonal nature of this? Uh, yeah, I think there are pros and cons. Um, I think the uh, what what I've uh, I feel has uh, improved somewhat in the last uh, maybe uh, two years, but has had been definitely a, a negative, was that because of the seasonal nature of the workload, the platform was versioned for uh, year over year, um, with targeting that sort of like release. Um, of course, the individual components were updated more frequently. But there was a sort of a mindset of basically an annual release, um, which definitely is slow. Um, and that's not, you know, that's not continuous deployment. And, uh, you know, it, that's evolved, uh, I think, a bunch. Um, and, you know, the flexibility has certainly grown. And we, you know, we're, we're re- releasing uh, way, way more frequently than, and then even, even back then we were releasing more frequently, even though that, uh, that versioning sort of existed. As far as a pro, I think a little bit of what Dibs is saying, like, you know, the, the OE timeframe is definitely more sensitive outside of that. And in fact, you know, like outside of nine to five, you know, we're, we're expecting considerable less traffic, you know. So I feel like there's a little bit more uh, leeway for certain kinds of experimentation, not like that we can, we, you know, we're not taking the thing down or anything like that. But um, I think it's it's possible for us to, to get by with... Uh, you know, certainly fewer servers running and and other things like that. You know, the the scalability um, can can be a little bit lower. Yeah, the only thing I would add there is from prioritization of work aspect. Like, it can be challenging to try to figure out what what to do, how to, how to spend the other nine months of the year effectively, when when you're shipping uh, in such a methodology of like we we have all the stuff we can do. What do we want to do, and what can we do now to make sure that it's ready? for that particular time in, in the year. Like you don't get 
if you have users all hitting it at one time for one very specific reason, like you're limited on experimentation possibilities. That's not to say that every company has the same open enrollment window. So we do get to experiment throughout the year. And there's folks who come through and they hit different enrollment milestones where like they have a, a life event where they are able to re-enroll and they can go through again. So, so there's definitely opportunities in there, but given most of our traffic and most of the value is derived from that Q4 for most of our customers again, um, if I say most one more time, I think I might shed one tear. Uh, but given most of it happens, then there's just a lot of coordination and, and hard prioritization that needs to happen. So, yeah. Is there anything we do differently per customer? Uh, in my experience, we do a lot of customization or at least historically we did. So are there any considerations that you work with personally, Dibs? I, I think the, the balance between configuration and customization is always a huge challenge. It's been one of the biggest pain points of probably my entire career in software is trying to find that balance of when, when do you use a tool's inherent configurability or extend that nature to be configured and, and how far do you take that and then beyond that, how, how far do you take things that are customized? And I think from my perspective, it seems like we do a fairly good job striking that balance, but it's always gonna come down to, again, what's the cost benefit of making those changes? Like if someone comes to us and is like, we're gonna give you 5 billion Bitcoin. If you make this one specific change, the chances are we're probably gonna make that change and also figure out how to get Bitcoin paid out to our employees. But on the flip side of that, like it, it's tough figuring out uh, what's, what's valuable for one customer versus what's valuable for all of them. And I think our product folks do a pretty good job of ingesting those ideas and, and working with engineering to prioritize them appropriately, so yeah. I was going to say, um, the answer is easy. We just buy everyone a Tesla, right? Because <laughs> are they accepting yeah. Bitcoin now? Yeah, um, Elon but yeah, as far as all about it, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. He, he tweets it. It's true. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like as, and the customizability of of what Alex is is like I think quite unique and exciting. Like the, there's you know tons of engineering effort that goes into maintaining an authoring platform that su supports that customizability. And I feel like that's, uh, that's it's very special. Uh, it's a challenge. And it's, uh, I guess it's special and it's a challenge. I don't have a third thing. We need three words for everything. <laughs> Most. <laughs> there we go. Let's kind of dig into that. Um, Sunil, could you tell us more about what our general infrastructure or tech stack's like? Yeah, um, I, I sort of touched on this a little earlier. Um, infrastructure, obviously. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm going to say obvious to, to, to you three because obviously you know we're all on AWS. There's a, a couple of things here and there that aren't. But yeah, chiefly we're on AWS. Uh, we largely use EC2. We do have um, production workloads uh, on ECS now, uh, containerized. And on ECS, uh, we're using both EC2 launch type and Fargate. Um, we're sort of evolving more in that direction. As I said, you know, we, we want more things in, in containers. Uh, it comes with it inherent uh, gains in dev prod parity as well as uh, flexibility. And uh, there is at least a promise of, um, you know, lower infrastructure costs. Uh, besides that, we use a lot of the sort of typical trappings of AWS that come along with EC2. We're obviously using elastic load balancers. Um, and with ECS, we're using ALBs or ELBv2. Uh, we use RDS, we use S3, we have some lambdas, you know, we're obviously in VPCs, uh, stuff like that. Be beyond the sort of classic, uh, like auto scaling group behind a load balancer uh, uh, paradigm, 
we are also using um, a few other things for like data that are that are probably uh, a little bit a little different, a little more interesting. Uh, we, you know, there's a fire hose that's uh, part of our analytics pipeline. We have SQS uh, in place. We use SES for some of the email stuff. I I wouldn't say it's very exotic, but we are. Uh, every once in a while, a new infrastructure or sort of service, cloud service requirement comes up. And it, we, we always, uh, we do our best. We do due diligence in trying to figure out where that needs to go. And it doesn't always end up on AWS. I think that's probably worth pointing out. For application engineers, I know we have a general team set up. Dibs, is there a, a standard we follow across the organization? Or does each team sort of specify how their team will be set up? Sure. Um, so we have some guardrails there in terms of minimum humans on a team but in general i would say the average team looks like a lead engineer a senior uh, engineer a more junior engineer a quality engineer and a site reliability slash devops engineer um, is the general makeup on on average of most of our teams now different teams have different and unique challenges need to operate different paces to achieve certain goals so flex that and try to make sure that we're meeting both the needs of the teams as well as the needs of product and the rest of the org in order to make sure we're hitting our goals Um, so some teams will be larger some teams will be smaller some teams won't have sre resources Um, it just really depends on the nature of the work that they're doing but in general i guess some additional detail there would be that we we have full stack engineers who generally end up sharpen Ruby and JavaScript for languages, Rails and React for frameworks, um, and as Sunil mentioned, AWS for, for cloud infrastructure primarily. I know there are some teams that have embedded product managers. Is that the norm across the organization? Yeah, so we follow, I think, what you would traditionally find on if you were to Google Scrum team. Um, So we have cross-functional teams would be the appropriate terminology considering what I mentioned with QA engineers and SREs embedded. The product folks are certainly part of the team overall, sometimes feel a little little less embedded uh, on the team, but they certainly uh, interact with the team on a daily basis and should be one team, one product manager ideally. So I think that about covers that. So in terms of Scrum, is there a specific subset of Agile we're working with? And that's an Agile concept, right? Mm-hmm. I would say most of our teams are currently on that with a Scrum Master in place. Um, and most teams are sprinting. But we try to make sure that teams, again, are, are allowed to self-organize around the problem statement that they're working towards so if it comes down to a team being like we need an extra hand or we want to try working in kanban change the the framework and try to figure out like start with a hypothesis like why do we think this change is gonna uh, benefit us and how do we think it's gonna help just to make sure that we're not making a change blindly and, and not measuring it after the fact but um, in general we'll we'll use whatever process seems to make sense with within some bounds but Agile as a whole. Have you uh, operated under any different setups, Sunil, or is that basically how your workflow is day-to-day? Uh, Jellyvision, yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate. We've, I think when I started uh, with what was at one time called the operations team, even though that means a different team these days, yeah, it was. we were using Kanban, and then we got to a point where uh, we wanted to move to sprints, we did that, um, and then we sort of shifted back Kanban and, and friends back and forth. At this point, I actually, I, I think I've lost count. I don't have friends who switched back and forth, but 
um, yeah, um, the the shared tools team, which I think now is actually new, newly titled the DevOps team, is using sprints, and that's the team that I most recently directly associated with. But yeah, through, more pervasively throughout uh, Technology Org, I would say sprints and uh, Scrum uh, is basically it. I I realize it is all agile, and it's like sort of. Um, one of the things that I like about sort of the agile community and the methodology is a lot of people are sort of frank about the idea that you don't have to be beholden entirely to like a single philosophy by structure. We've taken pieces of various things that seem appropriate for the work that we're doing and fit well within, um, you know, the team structures and, and then the product focus. And it's agile. It certainly is. And, and uh, the simplest way to describe it would be sprints, Jira, stuff like that. Yeah, for what it's worth, I've, I've worked in Waterfall before and a lot of times you'll hear waterfall and people will be like, ooh, ugh. Um, but the real truth of it is, is there's a there's a certain shape of work and shape of teams and those kind of things that generally fit certain processes better. And it's just about finding the right fit for your team and the type of work you're trying to do. Like in general, I would say sprinting is good for something where you have like a long-term project, which isn't maybe clearly defined super well up front where you want to leave lots of room for flexibility down the line. Kanban, maybe more better for maintenance or where there's a lot of like noise in terms of uh your your requests come in kind of uh in the middle of a sprint and could interrupt a sprint or something like that quite frequently and you just need to make sure the value gets out as fast as you can and then there's a waterfall where where maybe from my history where i've used it and where it actually certainly fit pretty well uh, was in the consulting space so you in consulting you you get a project definition up front because companies uh, you're consulting for want to know how much it's going to cost they want to be able to budget for it and so you have to come to them with an estimate and that estimate has to be based on something real which is usually based on a scope so you have like most of the scope more or less sorted out at the beginning which therefore implies waterfall Um, so it's just about the nature of of the work it seems like we've mentioned a couple teams but could either one of you talk briefly about the different types of teams we have and how application teams interact with uh, like more infrastructure stuff and vice versa? Yeah, I think the in the technology org, uh, the teams are sort of aligned with product goals. And I honestly uh, don't remember all of their names off the top of my head. But the way that the way that the things had been done a few years ago was a little different in that teams were sort of structured around pre-existing applications and there was an independent infrastructure focused team um, whereas now things are more cross-functional as Dibs has described and uh, work more towards a product focus as an example there had been uh, previously uh, like a, a an SRE team just you know sort of unambiguously labeled SREs uh, and that no longer exists. SREs are uh, embedded. Um, sometimes they're embedded in multiple teams, but um, generally speaking, they live within a team. They work within that team's sprint, within their um, agile events, and they are you know, working with that team's product manager. When things were more separate, I think it was there was a little it was a little bit harder to communicate, and for uh, there was sort of a cascade of responsibility, which meant that there was unnatural blocking at, at one end in, in the infrastructure uh, realm in particular. Um, and this is, some teams are dedicated more to front-end work. And I think the most notable team that I, uh, I keep thinking of is the BCC team, which is uh, the first time we're sort of in engineering and technology, um, bringing the content development folks into that into the same organization. And uh, I think that's been a, a really great experience. Dibs, anything to add there? 
Yeah, no, I think that about covers it. Yeah, we we generally are aligning our teams to products and trying to be more cross-functional so that we don't have as many dependencies. So I think that's the one thing to add is really trying to make sure that we're working as efficiently as possible. So if we can give one team a whole problem statement and that team can go solve that whole thing, it it makes it so much faster and so much more efficient to be able to say, okay, I've got this challenge with infrastructure and it can be solved by somebody on your team. I've got this challenge with um, our automation, automated tests to make sure that our, our quality is good before we hit go. Um, all those things being inside the team makes us move a lot faster. So yeah, it's the only thing I would add. So yes, we have been continuously improving to eliminate some complexities, but are there still, are there any that still stand to this day that we battle with? Yeah, <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, not everything's uh, the way that um, I think, you know, there's certain, there's certain, we're going in a direction that isn't just new products. There's still, you know, legacy stuff that we're sort of ironing out and, and complexities that should probably not exist. You know, some, some things should probably be simpler. I keep thinking back to, you know, what Deb's saying about like, and, and I think we, we both sort of touched on this earlier, every company in doing, in fact, having a successful product that's around for multiple years grows technical debt. Like almost every technical decision, basically every technical thing you do as an engineer creates technical debt. Um, it's a matter of controlling it and sort of like dealing with it regularly. Um, one of the things that, looking back at the Jellyvision's history, one of the things that we're still sort of struggling with is um, the influence of services versus product focus. We have like an older platform and a newer platform and we're, you know, to some extent, these are like basically serving parallel functions. They existed for different reasons from a legacy perspective and for sort of a different business perspective. And um, to me, that's, uh, I believe that's one of the things that it, it in itself represents technical debt from sort of a design perspective. Maybe that was uh, a decision that made sense at the time and, and we've gotten to the point where now it's, you know, a little bit much. But yeah, um, like we have, we have things that where, um, you know, speaking of like the product focused teams where a problem statement is the, is the sort of, you know, achievable goal or something to work towards. In that format, we've got uh, like a team that has possibly two or three applications that maybe with this new perspective should simply be one. And that's a definite growth opportunity because there's sort of redundancy where there doesn't need to be some. They, they can bring that together, um, sort of increase the simplicity and reduce the complexity. I feel like saying increase simplicity is like an oxymoron, but you know what I mean? Reduce the complexity. Um, then, you know, bandwidth opens up, gains are realized. Uh, it's certainly a lot easier at that point to maintain stuff because it's like smaller and you can probably make more new cooler stuff. Um, and from like, you know, a tech org perspective, that's that's kind of the goal. So bear with me as I try to break this down in my head. But um, the, the one thought that I'm having that is worth adding is that we're talking about like giving cross-functional teams the ability to, to, to move fast, to solve their whole problem statement themselves. But sometimes those problem statements overlap a bit. Or, or should overlap or intentionally are made to so that again we go back to like how um, Jellyvision is trying to have our products talk together and get, create that shared experience across our platform that can be challenging in terms of coordination across teams and products especially where a certain team may feel like they can solve the whole problem internally just just being their own team because they have all the resources they need to 
So there's like this whole concept of like with trees, you have that concept of crown shyness where like the branches shy away from each other, even though they're like they're growing up in fractals and like reaching out to try to touch each other, but they actually leave the space in between the borders of them. And that can sometimes be good and sometimes be bad. And so we just got to try to find the right right balance of making sure the right problems are solved by the right teams at the right time and involving the right people. So even though we're talking about like making these these vertical slices of teams that can go and solve something, it's never always that clean. Um, so there's always some some sort of overlap. And I think solving for that is, is still a complexity that, that we deal with. Do you think now that we've been doing like cross-functional teams for a while now, has there been measurable success? Are you seeing it? Do you have observations about it? I would say uh, just from the year and a half that I've been here um, that things have certainly moved quicker from my perspective. Like there have been things that I know people have been talking about doing for a long time that were just like, how will we get the time? How will we get the focus? And putting um, the right resources in the right teams I feel like has helped not only share knowledge but also create that opportunity for more folks to jump in and be interested in the in those problems that we've been kind of not necessarily avoiding but have just been sitting on the back burner because they haven't been the biggest priority but they they are a problem that we need to tackle and so yeah i feel like we we have had some success with that uh and i think it it's just a matter of, of constantly trying new things and reshaping to what seems to make the most sense at the time so it's been working for us. Will it work in two years, five years? Uh, the consulting answer of it depends is what I would give in that particular case based on what problems we're trying to solve and, and what technology is available at that point. But yeah, I feel like the cross-functional stuff near term has been has been working pretty well for us. I, I agree with uh, what, what Dibs is saying. Yeah, right now I feel like things have I've gotten a lot better. Um, I, I feel like uh, Dibs maybe in a little bit better of a perspective to, to sort of see that, but on the more infrastructure side you know there's we have this SRE guild which is in a sense sort of the remnant the echo of what had been the SRE team uh it's like more social it's not exactly like you know a, a group that does work as a purpose of course um but this is uh where people are exchanging ideas and and you know some of the challenges that they've got and and I feel like that's working out well and it to me that that demonstrates that the direct engagement is also working out well you know people are talking um, uh, and sharing about uh, the problems that they faced and the and creative solutions that they've come up with. And so to, the purpose of the guild is working out and that um, we're sort of uh, still uh, gaining from um, economies of scale to some extent because of that role. And I think uh, the individual teams definitely seem to be um, prospering uh, for the uh, direct engagements uh, from those uh, embedded engineers. Would you say that we've sort of hit our stride, that we're doing the ideal thing in terms of organization? Or do you, I, I know, Dibs, you just said, it depends. That's the consulting answer. But do you foresee anything? Look into the crystal ball. Where can Jelly Vision go? I do not have a crystal ball, but it is something I have always wanted, particularly to place directly next to uh, my Himalayan salt lamp. However, I, I think the one thing that comes to mind just because I have been working with JavaScript since like seventh grade, and that's been my, my one big thing. Like, I feel like while there has historically been a lot of churn inside that ecosystem, things are kind of stabilizing there and haven't really changed as fast 
as they have historically. So I'm curious to see like what the next big leap there is. And people always talk about uh, when you're talking about like computer power and stuff, more Moore's law about like the exponential growth and uh, things getting faster. And then all of a sudden you think things are slowing down, but then there's this new innovation and a huge leap forward. And I'm kind of curious to see what that next thing is myself on the front end side of things to see how that could go. One thing from my consulting days that is certainly popping back up here recently and I've heard a lot about is just like self-service code in a sense of like, what's the right term for it? But like, if you think back in the day of like an access database, like it's something that anybody could go open that up and and create a database. And while it may be super limited to like 30,000 roads and maybe a terrible decision for a business to start on that, it's a place to start. That's a better place to start than it is than maybe like um, just building something from scratch from the ground up on top of an old like AS400 system or something like that. So I'm kind of excited to see how how that transforms the nature of the way uh, we as software engineers work. Um, and if any of those solutions actually come to a place where it, it makes, it gives us more freedom and time to solve like the truly hard problems versus like copying and pasting like front end button code over and over again or whatnot. So. Uh, I'm excited about that from the 500,000 foot view. Yeah, um, I, I I don't have a crystal ball either, and uh, I think yeah, that's sort of like a your answer is about like where the industry is going as well as where television is going. It's, a, it's actually a great perspective. What 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 I was thinking is like we have to your point about the access database. Uh, I'm thinking about like basically what our our authoring tool set is. It's not an access database, of course, but we have this sort of process where people are um, effectively, you know, creating logic that runs a conversation. And I feel like that's, you know, the the further we can get to optimize that, the, the freer that people are to do um, things within the conversation, um, you know, the better. Um, and then on the infrastructure side, integrations with partners uh, are, are sort of novel and interesting. Uh, and I shouldn't say inter- uh, infrastructure side, I mean like you know, more, more, more of the back end. On the infrastructure side, the reduction in, in our like footprint to something like smaller and smaller with containers, these are sort of, you know, there's the simplicity, there's the, the shrinking, there's the integration, and there's like optimization. All of these seem like natural trajectories. And I think we're in a good place to go in that direction and like all of those directions what happens after that uh yeah it really depends on like i guess market forces product initiative and how platforms evolve um you know we recently were looking a lot at various different continuous deployment or continuous delivery uh, platforms and tools and um so much has changed in that space in the last couple of years that i feel like it's not done changing uh, I expect that we'll see something there that maybe turns containers on its head, you know, or makes containers used in a certain way, sort of an obvious choice for various reasons. But yeah, um, beyond that, I it to me the it's just a sense of optimize more, automate more, make things simpler. So, what do you wish people knew about engineering or Jellyvision in general? <laughs> engineering, like at all. <laughs> Um, yeah. That's kind of a big one. Well, you know, one of the things that I, I remember learning um, acutely when I was in, in college, uh, getting a minor in computer science, like there was, it seemed a revelation to me to hear this, but one of the instructors was really adamant about the fact that like when you're a programmer, you're, you spend very little of your time actually writing code. 
Um, and I think that's just like, if we're talking about general audiences, I still think, think that's something that people like don't really understand. And it's not all whiteboarding either. You know, a lot of times, a lot of times it's, it's conversational. I feel like um, the product and business focus is something that a lot of people overlook. But besides that, uh, there's the social aspect. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, having been a manager for years, one of the things that I always would tell people on my team is like, you are more effective as an individual contributor when you are able to communicate. And it's basically communication that makes everything happen, even though we work in a highly technical space and we, you know, are coders. Uh, even infrastructure is code, right? Everything's code at this point, but it's all about communication. Um, otherwise, uh, other people won't be able to work with you. And if you're just working on your own, the team's not going to be able to realize its potential. Stuff's not going to work if it's cross team, not at all. So yeah, I guess that's it. You know, if, if, if you're not familiar with how engineering works, uh, don't be afraid of the, the technical aspect. Just um, remember to, to talk, you know, make, make sure that you can communicate well, listen and talk. Um, regarding engineering, um, my biggest thing there would just be that anyone should feel comfortable giving it a shot. There's other avenues that you can take uh, other than getting a four-year, six-year, however long degree in computer science. There's And there are a bunch of different paths you can take within engineering um, with respect to like testing or uh, infrastructure or um, front-end web development being more visual or back-end development being more logical or you can do things with AI like there's so many different potential opportunities and um, sometimes that that door and is a lot closer than you think and there's a lot of great ways to try it out before you commit to it I think so that's my big thing that I wish more people knew about quite frequently I hear people who are like they have a passing interest in it but they just think like the hurdle to getting into it is is too too high of a bar all right so we're uh, gonna get to wrapping up here but I'd like to finish with what are some fun and interesting things that we do at Jellyvision uh, especially within the engineering department there's a lot of fun things the engineering department itself going back to like the idea of self-organizing teams gives us a lot of freedom uh, to kind of have the events that we need to and have the flexibility in our schedule to be able to celebrate wins the way we want to and and team build the way we want to um, so sometimes that means it's it's up to the engineering manager to figure out like how to have those events but i feel like from from my team's perspective we do a pretty good job of calling out when someone's uh, having a celebration or a life milestone or something like that and celebrating that in that in that moment but also making sure that uh, through like our unlimited time off policy that they get the ability to like celebrate that themselves too outside of um, you know the team and then when it comes to team building we like to do lots of little fun things like we'll have uh, questions we ask in the channel that are kind of icebreakers uh, similar to the uh, what three words describe you but uh, ones that um, terrify me a little less <laughs> <laughs> and then there's um, we'll have like random game days and stuff too where we'll just take an hour out of a random day and make sure that everybody even like our east coast and west coast people are able to attend and we'll either bring in food or bring in as an order Grubhub all individually because COVID, but then also play like Jackbox games or there's like a drawing sort of game online that's kind of actually similar to Drawful. So 
yeah dog fooding uh the jellyvision backstory and jackbox games is is the eventual outcome there a lot of times but um just try to make things fun while balancing out the work and make sure that uh, it's not only just like a forced team bonding exercise or, or what i've been heard it called before is mandatory fun but something <laughs> like the team actually wants to do and try to get their thoughts and opinions on on that and uh celebrate things that way when uh COVID is all said and done, I, I have high hopes that we'll be able to get back together as like an engineering department and like have our own events again, maybe do something like go into Dave and Buster's or who knows, but that's further down the line. So, Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> the last year of or two years or I don't know however long this like lockdown has been happening um, has sort of turned things on its head a bit. But one of the things that I really love about Jellyvision and even in, in the engineering department um, although we, we do sort of share this with the rest of the company is the the sort of creative and fun side you know we there's there's a band room i like <laughs> when people this comes up in, in in interviews when we're interviewing candidates like what do you just tell tell us something fun about television there's a band room like a lot of people are musicians i'm a musician dave you're a musician and we get together and play music sometimes and it's just wonderful um i think that that is just it's so fun uh, it's a wonderful outlet. Uh, we're also open to beginners at all levels, uh, and it's it's a really great way for people across you know from different departments to to socialize and to learn about you know uh, each other. And yeah, it's really gratifying. Um, there's also I mean there's a whole bunch of other stuff. You know there's there's stuff, you know fun little games and parties and things. I think later today, uh, even in this uh, quarantine realm, there's uh, a Valentine's movie. I don't want to say marathon because I think it's only a couple hours. It's probably just one or two movies. I don't know, but there's something happening, and you know, yeah, it's it's just it's just lovely. It's like uh, there's a sense of fun and community, and uh, it's yeah, I like it. That is awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. Uh, it was great to have you on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, good chat. Looking forward to hopefully chatting again in the future. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, it's been great. Well, I had a jellytastic good time today. For sure. Me too. You can email us at techpodcast at jellyvision.com if you have any feedback or suggestions. Thanks for listening and looking forward to the next one.